Well, hey everybody, welcome to Valley Creek Church. We are so glad you're here. Whatever campus you might be at, Flower Mountain, the venue, Denton, Louisville, watching online, can we just greet one another together? We are so honored to have you. And we believe whether this is your first time, you've been coming for years, we believe, I believe, that Jesus has something very special for you today. You see, we're in the middle of a series we're calling Spring Break. It's time to take a break. And what we've learned is how God has hardwired all of us to long for meaningful and timely breaks, right? That's why we love Spring Breaks. It's just a chance to pause, to take a break, to uh, remove ourselves from the normal routine. So here's the caution. Remember, breaks are not from life. Breaks are for life. In other words, we don't break just to leave something behind. We break to lean into something better. So what I'd like to do right now is to introduce our second spring break invitation. Last week we learned it's okay to play. Well, this week, the invitation, it's time to take a break to celebrate. But before you break out the confetti, before you bring the cake and the ice cream, let me just tell you, it's not exactly the kind of celebration we normally have. It's not about you, it's not about me, it's not about our family. It's about Jesus. We wanna pause and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Because when we celebrate Jesus, he fills us up and our emptiness begins to fade. Have you noticed how prevalent emptiness is in our society? It's like the flu, it pops up everywhere. It's on TV, it's on social media. You have it at the workplace, you might have it at your home. It's that chronic feeling of dissatisfaction. It's that heavy fog of uh, dissatisfaction that just sort of carries the day in our homes. Do you know what I'm talking about? For example, picture a recent graduate from UNT. So this uh, young lady has just gotten her degree in marketing. She knows it's time to get a job, but she can't even bring herself to fill out the application. You see, her boyfriend of three and a half years just broke up with her and she's devastated. She is so broke up. Over it. In fact, even the landlord came to her and said, if you don't pay the rent, I'm going to have to evict you. But you know what? She doesn't even care. She told her sister recently, her biggest fear in life is living alone. You see, she's feeling personally empty. Or how about the young mother of three whose husband travels all the time? About six months ago, she buried her mom. Her mom was her best friend. They did everything together, especially shop. So what does she find herself doing now? She's obsessed with shopping. 
Unfortunately, she's maxed out all the credit cards, but please don't tell her husband. He doesn't know yet. She too is feeling empty. Or finally, there's a granddad who recently took, re, uh, took uh, early retirement after 40 years in manufacturing. He was the kind of employee everyone longed for. He was dependable. He was loyal. He was always on time. But now, now he wonders if all of his career was just a waste. You see, all he wants to do is just sit in his easy chair and watch TV. His wife brings the grandkids over, thinking that might bring a smile to his face. But he says, even they have become a bother. He too feels empty. So let me ask you, have you ever felt that way? Have any of their experiences mirrored your reality? Well, if there's even a hint of yes, let me tell you what Jesus wants to say to you. He wants to tell you, you need a break. He wants to fill you up and he wants to lift that fog of emptiness from your life. You say, but how? I believe the answer is found in a story in John chapter four. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me to John chapter four, or you can follow along on the screens. In this chapter, Jesus has a powerful encounter with a nameless woman who just like our three individuals knows what it's like to feel empty. And Jesus meets her right where she is and he gives her what she could not give herself. He gave her a spring break. We pick up the story in John 4, verse 5. Follow along. He says, so he, meaning Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now it's strange, isn't it, to think of Jesus as being tired? I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. But here's the reality. Jesus may have been exhausted, but Jesus is never empty. Jesus may have been fatigued, but Jesus is always full. And it's out of his fullness that he gives this woman her way out of her emptiness. Look at verse seven. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, as far as we can tell, Jesus had never met this woman before. This was their first encounter, but he knew her very well. You see, he knew exactly why she would come to the well at high noon versus all the other women who would come in the cool of dawn. It's because she would rather face the heat of the sun than face the heat of the scorn she felt from those other women. Jesus also knew why she was empty. Later, the text tells us 
He confronts her with the fact that she has been married five times before. And now she's working on relationship number six. She's hoping against hope that he will be Mr. Right, that he will be Mr. Perfect. Isn't it funny how emptiness makes us both delusional and desperate? But Jesus looks right past her shame and her emptiness to offer what she could not find herself, a break to something better. And Jesus shows the key that unlocks this break. In verse 10, look there. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Boy, we love that verse, don't we? I mean, what's not to love? Living water, are you kidding me? A life of unquenchable satisfaction. That's what we all want. The kind of overflowing in life that we long for. But how do we grab that for ourselves? How do we make that our experience. The answer, I believe, is found in Jesus' first seven words in that scripture. Did you notice what he said? If you knew the gift of God. Just take that in for a minute. If you knew the gift of God. That's an invitation from Jesus. What he's saying there is if we know and understand and appreciate and celebrate the gift that he is, that's how we can be satisfied. That's how we can uncork an endless supply of deep, rich satisfaction. You see, when we celebrate Jesus, he fills us up and our emptiness fades. Well, in my family, as I've told you before, we have nine grandkids. Boy, it's hard for us to keep up with them. And there's not a month that goes by that we don't have some kind of celebration. We've got birthdays, we've got anniversaries, we've got uh, graduations, we've got grandparents' day, etc. The, the list is endless. And oh, every time, Every time we sweat the gift. Oh, is it the right color? Is it the right size? Is it what mom ordered for them? We never know until they open it. But catch this. Jesus isn't asking us to bring a gift to this celebration. He didn't register at Target or Walmart in the gift registry and say, these are all the things I want. Somebody needs to hear that today because you're thinking, what gift does Jesus expect from me? He just wants you to receive the gift that he is because when we celebrate Jesus, that's where he lifts the fog of emptiness. And he fills us with everything we're looking for. Look at how this happened for this woman. Skip up to verse 28. It says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. I love that. It says she left 
her water jar. Why? Because when you and I come to the well of Jesus, we realize how faulty, how porous our water jars are. They're like screens on a submarine. (laughs) They just leak all over the place. And notice how she didn't just keep the celebration to herself. She took the celebration to the streets. She shared it with the whole town. Why? Because when living water splashes on you, you can't help but be a splash zone to the people around you. Right? So let me ask you, are you ready to take a break and celebrate Jesus? Are you ready to drink in the gift of Jesus and to let him fill you? What I'd like to do in the next few minutes is just focus on several of the things that Jesus has already done for each and every one of us. Just to focus on them so that we can celebrate the gift that he is. Can we do that? The first is this, that Jesus pursued us. Jesus pursued us. We all love the 23rd Psalm, right? It's one of the the famous Psalms of all of the scripture. But I love how the message translates verse six. It says this, your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. Now, you know the traditional rendition. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Well, that makes for good poetry, but I don't think it captures David's original intent. You see, the verb used here means to run hard after. Let me tell you, Jesus doesn't just follow you. Jesus chases you down passionately because he loves you that much. C.S. Lewis, a popular Christian author, once called Jesus the hound of heaven. I don't think he was far off of what this was intended to mean. You see, when I let our golden retriever out at night, if she sees a bunny, it's game over. Her instincts are so much more powerful than my commands. Do you know what I'm talking about? And Jesus is the same way. When he gets the scent of your soul in his nostrils, he can't help but run hard after you because he loves you that much. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares a story that really gives commentary to this. He's trying to reveal the father's heart. And one of the stories he shares is about a shepherd and his hundred sheep. And he says this, he opens the story with a question. In fact, my lawyer friends would even say, it's a leading question. He's leading the witness here. See if you can catch this. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, clearly, Jesus is expecting an affirmative answer here, right? 
He wants us to agree with him. Yes, Jesus, of course. That's what any good shepherd would do, leave the 99, go after the one. But can I offer a contrarian opinion? (laughs) This makes no sense to me. I want to say, Jesus, why would you leave 99 well-behaved, wool-producing sheep to go after one ditzy lamb in the ditch? I don't get it. Come on, does anyone else share my logic here? Cut your losses, Jesus. But aren't we glad that Jesus is more interested in chasing a wounded sheep than he is stockpiling wool? I don't know what your wilderness might look like today. It may look like a dead-end job. It may look like a relational conflict. It may look like a chronic health issue. It may look like a defiant child. I don't know what your wilderness looks like, but I know this, that you are not alone in that wilderness, that Jesus is chasing hard after you, and you are more worth more to him in that ditch, in that briar patch than anything he might have back in the bar because he loves you. Jesus has pursued you and that's worth celebrating, yes? The next thing to celebrate is this. Jesus has redeemed us. Jesus has redeemed us. As many of you know, I have the privilege of being a part of our leadership academy here. We call it VCLA. It's a nine-month program, a bridge year for 18 through 24-year-olds to just learn about who they are, who God is, and what their purpose is in life. Well, we just finished wrapping up our Old Testament survey. We got to look at several different prophets in the Old Testament, one of whom, his name is Hosea. Now, I don't know if Hosea uh, ever played poker or not, but if he did, he got dealt a really bad hand. The story goes like this. God asked Hosea to marry a woman named Gomer. And Gomer is a woman of questionable reputation. Let me tell you why. It's because she was always chasing counterfeit affections. No matter how much she was loved by her husband, she always went after a new rival lover. Remember, emptiness makes you both delusional and desperate. So God asked Hosea to marry Gomer because Gomer was a picture of the unfaithfulness of Israel. And this was God's plan. He wanted to use Hosea to model for him. It was a case of show and tell to model the kind of extravagant love that God had for Israel. But despite Hosea's tender patient, consistent, selfless love. Gomer continued to chase 
after counterfeit affections. Then one day, her well runs dry. Her delusional lifestyle catches up with her and her debts are called in. And she ended up, if you can believe it, by her creditors being auctioned off at the local auction house. When Hosea gets this news, he is devastated. He doesn't understand. And so God intercedes in Hosea 3.1 and he reminds Hosea of the original mission. Listen to what he says. Then the Lord said to me, go again. Let's just pause right there. Somebody here needs to hear that. Go again. Yes, but I've been so patient. patient. I've I've been so tender and, and there's no response. Go again. Go again and love your wife. Go again and love your spouse. Even when she is loved by another and is not faithful. Now catch this. Love her as the Lord loves the people of Israel when they turn to other gods. Love her like the Lord loves. You see, what Hosea was was a beautiful prophetic picture of the way Jesus loves us. When Hosea arrives at the auction house, the bidding had already begun. Gomer is curled up in a corner, trying to cover both her shame and her nakedness. One man offers three shekels for her. Another said, I'll give you five. The auctioneer patiently lets the silence linger. And then Gomer hears a voice that she thought she would never hear again. It's Hosea. He steps forward. He takes command of the room. He says, Mr. Auctioneer, I'll give you 15 shekels of silver for my wife. He pulls out his money bag. He throws coins into his hand. Some of them fall on the stone floor. And then he says, and I'll add to that, Another 400 pounds of barley. That's six months worth of food for an average family. That's also worth 15 shekels. That brings the total to 30 shekels of silver. The maximum allowed for a slave to be redeemed in the nation of Israel. Mr. Auctioneer, do we have a deal? And with those words, not a sound could be heard in the auction house, except for the sound of one weeping woman. The auctioneer soon breaks the silence. He thrusts down his gavel upon the table and he excitedly shouts, sold for 30 shekels worth of silver, paid in full. You see, Hosea held nothing back to show the love of God. 
And friends, 700 years later on a hillside outside of Jerusalem, Jesus was sold as a slave for 30 shekels of silver. And with the additional collateral of his shed blood and his broken body, our heavenly father thrust down his gavel upon all of creation and shouted, soul for the blood and the body of my son, paid in full. And in that very moment, every lost slave who has ever chased after counterfeit affections was instantly redeemed. You see, Jesus held nothing back. Jesus paid full price because that's what extravagant love does. Jesus paid all that was required with all of his being for all of us to find all the fullness we could ever want. So let me ask you, what's standing between you and your tank being full today? Are you trying to pay for something to please God or please yourself? Are you trying to pay for a nest egg, a dream house, a security blanket, or maybe your own salvation? Well, there's no amount of stuff, there's no amount of effort that can rival the gift of Jesus. He bought and paid for you and me to be redeemed. Jesus has redeemed us And that's a gift worth celebrating. Jesus has pursued us and that's a gift worth celebrating. Are you ready for one more? Jesus heals us. Jesus heals us. The apostle Paul makes this profound pronouncement in Acts 13 verse 39 that we often, I often take for granted. Listen to it. It says, through him, Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Let me read that again. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Can you take hold of that promise? See, Jesus has already paid for all of our sins. Whatever you're accused of, Jesus has pardoned it. Whatever confines you, Jesus has conquered it. Whatever binds you, Jesus has broken it. Whatever entangles you, Jesus has unraveled it. Whatever haunts you, Jesus has defeated it. Whatever oppresses you, Jesus has overcome it. Jesus has freed you and me from every sin. That one and that one and that one and even that one. So let me ask you, are you wounded today? You see, in this life, our hearts are broken and wounded in a variety of different ways. But God sent Jesus to heal us. 
Look at Isaiah 61, verse 1. It says, he has sent me, God has sent me, Messiah, Jesus, to bind up the brokenhearted. To bind up the brokenhearted. You say, what does that mean? It means in your heart and mind, Jesus wants to cinch up whatever is broken. He wants to suture whatever is torn. He wants to mend whatever is wounded. Are you wounded today? When I take inventory of my life, I realize I've been wounded in many, many different ways. I have all kinds of wounds. I have father wounds, a distant father who rarely showed me affection. I've got um, relational wounds. I know what it means to be rejected and replaced. I've got parenting wounds, I'm sure you do too, where my own emptiness triggered things that I said that I later regretted in front of my kids. I even have open heart surgery wounds. I hope you don't have that one. 2010, I became part of the Crack Chess Club. I've got wounds and so do you. But here's the good news. Jesus has healed us of every womb and that is worth celebrating. Well, friends, I hope you've enjoyed our little impromptu spring break celebration today. When I began this message, I shared with you that I believe Jesus had something special for each and every one of you. Well, now you know what it is. The special thing is Jesus himself because he is the gift that if we were to know the power, the majesty, the enormity of that gift, we would never feel empty again. We would feel feel forever filled. So I believe Jesus brought you here today for a reason. I believe that Jesus brought you here because he wanted to give you a meaningful and timely break. I believe Jesus brought you here today because he wanted to fill your tank and lift the fog of emptiness off of you. I believe that Jesus brought you here today because he wanted to offer you a drink of water. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. If you knew the gift of God. My encouragement to you this week is that you don't let this spring break come and go without celebrating the gift of Jesus. That he has pursued you, that he has redeemed you, that he has healed you. Let's just press pause this week and let's be grateful for everything that Jesus has already done for us. Let's drop our leaky water jars and let's become a splash zone for celebrating with those around us. Remember, 
when we celebrate Jesus, he fills us up and emptiness fades. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? And the Holy Spirit wants to ask you, what does all this mean to you? What is your next step in all of this? So Father God, we are so grateful, so thankful for everything that you are and everything you've done for us. Thank you, Father, that you gave us what we could not give ourselves. You gave us the incredible gift of Jesus that we so often take for granted. Thank you, Father, for pursuing us passionately. Thank you, Father, for redeeming us from our our tendency to chase after counterfeit affections. And thank you, Father, from healing us from our wounded, broken hearts. Father, during this spring break, may we take a break and truly celebrate who you are, the gift that you are, and everything you've done for us. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.